aspect today, it's going to be on the spiritual note of the issues of that inner man, the heart, amen, keep it because out of it are also the issues of life, where our life comes spiritually. I want to talk this morning, um, kind of focus on our conscience, okay? The conscience, by definition of Webster, is the inner sense of what is right or wrong in one's conduct or motives. You know, we've all seen the little cartoons, you know, where somebody's tempted to do something wrong and the little devil pops up on one shoulder and a little angel on the other shoulder and, and the angel's saying, don't do it, and the, the devil's saying, go ahead, go ahead, you know. And uh, the reason why we can relate to that and even a child at the young age is because we understand the reality of that fight within us. The fight to listen to our conscience to do the right things in this life. Amen. So it's real. It's the inner sense of doing what is right or wrong. In the Greek, it means to see completely. It means to become aware, to understand or to become aware. So in the Greek, when we think of the conscience, it means that you see completely. You're, you're looking in the right way. Amen. When that conscience begins to speak with you. It denotes a union by association. In other words, you have your conscience you associate your heart with what your conscience is trying to tell you, and you can grow in the Lord. You know, the, I think it was Paul writing to the Hebrews, he said, remember, he said, remember the former days after you were illuminated, after you were, the, the light was turned on, after you were brought to the light. He said that you endured a great fight of afflictions, I think it's in Hebrews chapter 10, he said, partly while you uh, endured this great flight of affliction and partly why, why, because you became associated with people or them that were also used in that way. So the association with the church caused these things and so the association uh, between the heart when we talking about keeping your heart with all diligence it's an association of what our conscience is telling us. And we'll get into it a little bit more, but, you know, you can't follow your heart, right? We know that. And you can't actually even follow your conscience unless you're leading your conscience in the right direction. Amen? But the Bible tells us that the heart's deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? So you can't just follow after your heart. There's got to be this conscience that gets involved in this association, amen, that comes together. And it becomes a moral compass for us. Thank God for that. Amen. Thank God that he's given us a conscience. And that's why you're really here this morning. Because you have a conscience. Amen. And that you want to be spoken to. And you want to live the right way. And follow after the right dictates of your heart. Amen. And so thank the Lord that he's given us a conscience. There's a lot of people that don't have uh, they're not exercising their conscience. Everybody has one, amen. We all know that moral compass that lies within us. So one of uh, the interesting things um, I read in this book, The Chemistry of the Blood by Dr. Deham, 
he talks about the lie detector test, and we've all heard about that. It's been in use for quite a while. A lot of, there's a lot of debate about it. Some places accept it, some places don't. But in the lie detector test as we have it today, it depends upon the fact that certain uh, psychological and emotional changes react upon the tissues of the body that cause specific changes in the physical body. A normal emotion of innocence will produce either uh, no change or a different change. An abnormal emotional state caused by telling a lie, especially when it's under oath or with the danger of detection, causes certain other changes in the tissue of the body, thus telling us that there is present an abnormal psychology caused by the sense of guilt or fear. Okay, so investigators have discovered that when a man or an individual tells a lie, certain emotional changes take place which react upon the effects of the heart and the blood vessel, causes a change in blood pressure, all right? I think we all kind of understand that, but the thing that I'm trying to point out is this is how God has created our physical bodies, that we react to certain things. We know this to be true in other areas of the body. Take for existence, when you're embarrassed, what happens? A physical change can take, come upon you and your, your face can turn red, right? Or the back of your neck caused by embarrass, embarrassment. Sometimes it's accompanied with a sense of heat. Oh yeah, I'm embarrassed. I, I'm, it's getting a little warm in here, we'll say. Amen. And so we know that to be true. Fear causes the face to turn white. We say he's as white as a ghost. He was so scared he was white as a ghost. Amen. Great expectation or surprise causes a rapid heartbeat, increased respiration. Amen. If you just found out that you won uh, the lottery, it should cause an increase in your respiration, right? Especially since you shouldn't be playing the lottery. <laughs> But since you did and sinned, just ask God to forgive you and uh, pay your tithes. Amen. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's what happens when I get off my notes. Amen. <clears throat> but we understand this. You know, sudden surprise or fright can even induce vomiting, the physical effect upon the body. Anguish may cause one to sweat. Amen. The mere thought of food, just thinking about the roast you have cooking in your stove at home, can cause your mouth glands to start to water. And your mind can wander off where you don't hear anything else of the rest of this message because you're thinking about dinner later. And so, but we understand this and just trying to associate that with the fact that just like we studied in the blood, and how it affects the body physically is how the blood works in the body of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ works in the body of Christ. Amen. To heal us, to provide salvation for us, and to keep us all in the place that we need to be. This, the conscience, is this great moral compass that God has placed within each and every one of us. This is a great thing for us to have the conscience. And so we have the ability to choose. 
other than most uh, all the other animals. They don't have that ability. They don't have a conscience. I know some of you probably think that your sweet little pet, whatever it may be, may have a conscience and, and all of that. But in reality, we are the only ones that have that ability to make the choice, to make the association between the heart and what our conscience is telling us. <clears throat> and I say this a lot, but <clears throat> the truth of the matter is that when we get convicted, you know, that's the conscience telling us something. If you don't quickly react upon that, that conviction can leave you because of your conscience's state. All right? And we'll get into this in a little bit here. But the Bible even talks about a lie detector test. You can read about it in Numbers chapter number 5. We don't have time. It's kind of lengthy, but we don't have time. Let me summarize it by saying this. In Numbers chapter 5, it said, If a man was suspicious, had the spirit of suspicion of his wife being with another man, having an affair, whatever you want to call it, committing adultery, he could bring her to the priest with a jealousy offering. If she confessed her guilt, she could accept this offering for her. But if she pleaded her innocent, she was then placed under an oath. She would drink the bitter herb that the priest would provide. And if she was guilty, this drink would act as a violent poison. It's a big long thing in Numbers chapter 5, but I'm just paraphrasing it. The bitter water formed no poisonous reaction if combined with the normal reaction of the body, but produced just the opposite reaction if combined with the abnormal reaction to the body. Let me just put this little note here. In chemistry, it has numerous examples of the fact that two or more harmless element, elements combined with el uh, other elements, when combined in different ways or with other elements, may become very poisonous. In other words, a seamlessly har harmless element, if it's combined with another element, chemistry of proven this over and over, it becomes very poisonous into the to the body. And so, just saying all this, in, the, the, in his book, the doctor, uh, Dehan, he said that, you know, not, he's not taken away from the miraculous of the body, or mirac the miracles of the, Bi of the Bible, but he's saying it could be that if we knew what that herb was today, that we could apply that same test and it would work for us today because of the simple fact that that's how the body is made. Amen. He's just bringing that to, to the point. His whole point is that the Bible is a scientific book. You know, a lot of people say, well, it's not scientific. But, oh, uh, it is. We talked about the blood last week. And now the conscience and the emotions this week. Everything about the Bible has scientific evidence. And the science world just keeps catching up to it, though. Remember, we talked about... The life was in the blood, and they didn't know that 2,000 years ago, and they tried bloodletting and all of that. And I think it was uh, Brother Jenkins that told me they think that maybe George Washington died from bloodletting, you know, the using of leeches and trying to suck the body. They thought if they had a disease that you could let enough blood out and heal the body. Well, we found out that that's not the way to do it. Today, they don't do it that way, and they realize that the life is in the body. And the Bible says... You know that God sits on the spear of the earth. 
the sphere which is aroundness of the earth. And today we know that the earth is round, right? We see pictures of it. Back then they thought it was what? It's flat. They thought if you went out too far in the ocean, you just fall off the edge of it. We have a hard time comprehending that, but you think about it, without all the modern science and technology that we have today, you didn't know what was out there, and you may have thought that exact same thing. But when you look into the Word of God, you understand that God, hallelujah, has put everything together in a powerful union and a powerful um, I don't know what the right word is, but it's all works together. The natural and the spiritual, hallelujah, of what God is doing, amen? And the Bible is way ahead of everybody else as far as science is concerned, amen? You can trust in the word of God, it's real, hallelujah. So as we look um, into this study this morning, <clears throat> as we look into the word of God to keep your heart with all diligence... We are admonished in the word to do just that, amen, to keep it with all diligence, your heart. Your heart simply is your will or the seat of your emotions. The center of everything is what our heart is, and it can be led and guided by this conscience. So we are given a conscience, this great moral compass, if you will, to help us. And let me just say this, <clears throat> as far as the lie detector is concerned, God doesn't need a lie detector, right? <laughs> God does not need a lie detector. Man needs a lie detector. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, let me just remind you through scripture of a few things. Therefore, judging nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Alright? So we have this heart issue, and we know that it's out of it are the issues of life. We know that we're to keep this heart with all diligence. That should be your number one goal in life is to keep your heart. Amen? And so he's saying here in Corinthians, he's saying to the Corinthians church, he's saying that God's going to bring everything to light. He's going to bring all these counsels of the heart to light. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 22. It says, though thou wash, uh, for, thou, for though thou wash thee with nitra and take thee much soap. Nitra, if I'm saying that right, looking it up. It means almost like an acid wash. It meant to agitate. In other words, so you take yourself and you throw yourself in the washing machine and you turn the agitator on and put some uh, Clorox bleach in there trying to get rid of it or trying to hide it or to cover it up, it's not going to work. He says, because he says your iniquity is marked before me. In other words, God does not need a lie detector test. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, it said, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon the other, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he tells you what that is. It's hypocrisy. He says, beware of hypocrisy. For there is nothing, the hypocrisy is the covering up of the heart, right? 
It's either trying to be something that you're not, amen, or trying to cover up something that you are. That's hypocrisy. And it has to do with the inward individual, amen, the covering up of who we really are. Jesus tried to uh, warn them. He said, beware of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. That they went around, they did, went through all the motions, they did everything, they looked good on the outside. But he said inside they were full of dead men's bones. They were full of hypocrisy. It's something that we need to, as we uh, try to keep our heart with all diligence, is something that we have to keep ourselves from it. When the, the conscience is awakened by the word of God, then it has the decision to make, Right? What am I going to do with the Word of God? And so if we either bring ourselves to a place before God and, and get it under the blood, like we talked about last week, then God can cleanse us and to forgive us. But if we think that we're going to hide it and just push it in a corner and nobody knows about it, God knows. <laughs> God knows all things. Amen. He said for, in verse 2, for there is nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Oh my goodness. We're all in for trouble. But if we can get it under the blood, it's going to be blotted out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be made known. <clears throat> Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the mountain. Don't tell anybody this. It's a secret. One of these days God's going to stand on the housetop and say, Hey, you know what he said? John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now we, you know, a lot of times we think, you know, it's, uh, well, I got to do this because if not, I'm not going to be saved. We get our thinking mixed up, amen. I want to do this because it's the best way going. That's how our thinking needs to be. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save the world. All we have to simply do is open up our hearts and keep our hearts with all diligence. There, um, he said, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation, all right? This is it. He said, this is why you're condemned. Light is come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Light's here. You understand it. You're convicted, your conscience is telling you, but the choice still remains yours. And he's saying that we're condemned because when the light was come into the world, 
We chose to hide our sins in the darkness. We chose to put it under the rug. For everyone that doth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So here he's saying, you when you don't, uh, when you hate good and you do evil, then you hate the light. And he says, and neither cometh to the light. So the light's shining, right? The light's there. We have to come to it. But as we come to it, it's the awakening of the conscience, right? And so as you come to it, you have more of this conscience that's speaking to your heart. And, and we can either, we have the choice to either go after the things of God or go back into the, into the things of the world. And so he's saying that if we would simply come to the light, hallelujah, that we can, our deeds would be made manifest and they can be taken care of. Amen. We can get it under the blood. Amen. So, but he says in verse 21, he that doeth truth. So that's the, that's the challenge for us this morning, to do truth. And what's truth? The word of God. Amen. That's the challenge, to do truth, to look into the word of God. Amen. That's why I can remember that years ago when I first, when I was searching and I was going to all these different churches and everybody was telling me what they believed and, and uh, all the different denominations. And I came to the Pentecostal church and they said, this is what the word of God says and you need to study it for yourself. And that just struck a chord with me. They told me to look into the word of God. They weren't taking the word and saying, this is what we believe they were saying, look into the word of God, it'll speak to you, hallelujah, it's truth. And it has, amen, for 35 plus years, it just continues to speak to you, continues to lead you and guide you, amen, because it's the truth. But the challenge, no matter whether we just came to church yesterday or we've been in for 50 years, is to do truth. Every day, to do truth, we have to wake up, amen. John chapter 8 verse 7, this is when they had the, caught the adulterous woman in the act, they brought her to Jesus, and so when they continued asking him, you know, he tried to ignore them, what do we need to do, you know, Moses said she needed to be stoned, he lifted up himself, said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her, and he began to stoop down and to ride on the ground, all different speculations, of what he was writing. I always think that he's writing the sins of probably those that were standing around. Because they, when they heard it, verse number 9, being convicted in their own conscience. Oh, yeah, I'm not perfect either. Being convicted in their own conscience, they went away one by one. Beginning at the eldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone in the <clears throat> And the woman standing in her midst, midst, in his midst. And he said to her, you know, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So the conviction part that they felt here was that they were convinced. When you're convicted, it's because you're, you're convinced of something. If I get up here this morning and I say to you, you need to quit stealing on your job. 
all right, and you're stealing on your job. You get convicted about that. You're convinced. I've convinced you. You've got that conviction, amen, and it's through your own conscience to see completely and to become aware, yeah, I need to quit doing that. Or if I come up here and say, you know, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name, you're convinced of that through your own conscience, amen, being convicted by your own conscience, you become aware or you become, you can see more completely. And it's bringing your iniquities, if you will, to remembrance. And that's actually in Numbers chapter 5 that I, that I paraphrased the little story there or summarized it. But in, I want to read one uh, verse out of Numbers uh, 5.15. It says, So shall the man bring his wife to the priest. He shall bring an offering for her, the tenth part of an ephod of barley meal, and he shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon. For it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. That's what it was all about, was to bring this woman to the place where iniquity would be remembered, either guilty or not guilty, one way or the other, amen. That's the same way with a natural lie detector test, right? They bring you there, they're trying to find out whether you're, they're trying to bring iniquity to your, to your presence. And so there's this chemical reaction that takes place in your body. That's why they'll say a lot, they'll ask a lot of questions that are right, uh, yes answers, right? That everybody knows, you know, what is your name? And you give them your name, right? And you say, where do you live? And they give them your address, things that are, things that are normal or things that are easy to answer. Yes answers, right? Um, are you married? Yes or no? And they answer these questions and they record the, the reaction of the body and then they say... Where were you on the night of October 15, 1979? Were you here? And uh, do you own a gun? A pistol? You own a pistol. Did you commit the murder? And so the reaction of the body can tell. Amen. And so this was the part of bringing us, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And that's what the Word of God is all about. It's trying just to bring us to the remembrance of our iniquity. To awaken the conscience to the fact that we can just... He doesn't, he's not here to condemn us over it. He's here to save us. But he says what you don't want to do is hide it. Don't put it under a rug because really there's nothing hid, he's saying. You're going to hide it for a moment, for a period of time... Just like he says, the pleasures of sin are for but a season. Amen? But eternity is for a long time. It's not worth losing our souls over. Amen? To get it under the blood. And the whole purpose of this was to bring iniquity to remembrance. And so just like the body, the blood in the body of God has placed in us, <clears throat> so this moral compass is in us so that we do not defile the temple of God. Amen. So we're admonished throughout the, body, the whole Bible to this, to keeping our heart. Romans chapter 3, verse 11 through 14. And knowing uh, the time, that it is high time to awake out of sleep. All right? 
Now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. So he's not, he's not saying, you know, you need to get up out of bed, right? Not wake up. We all understand that, correct? He's not saying you need to get up out of bed. He's saying you need to awaken. What, what are we trying to awaken? We're trying to awaken this conscience that's within us. Amen? It's high time. You need to think about it. You need to deliberate it with your heart, your conscience, through the power of the Word of God. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. There, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I love the wording that's in the Word of God. The armor of light. You know, like you're going to battle. You've got this armor. And he wants you to understand that the choice is there. It's not an easy choice. We suffer attacks from the enemy. But remember, what do we have? We have the blood of Jesus Christ that runs through the church. Hallelujah. Protecting us. Hallelujah. From all the attacks of the enemy. He says, put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, drunkenness, chambering, wantonness, strife, and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. He's saying, awake out of your sleep. Time to wake up. Wake up what? The conscience. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. Says, wherefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, least at any time we should let them slip away. Amen. He said, you ought to give the more earnest heed. Take thought. Take thought of what's inside of you. Amen. To the things which we have heard. We do not, wouldn't it be a sad thing if the Lord came and you didn't make it? Sitting in the church. That's got to be the saddest scenario in my mind. Sitting in the church is because we come, we can find ourselves if we're not carry, careful, if we don't wake up, amen, if we don't take heed to the things that we've heard, the word of God, we could let them slip away. Luke chapter 12 records a parable. Jesus speaking, he said, a certain man brought forth plenty. And the rich man, he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? This conversation, if you will, that we all have within ourselves, you know. We all talk to ourselves, that inner individual. And they're trying to, the word of God's trying to awaken that. But he thought within himself, and he says, what am I going to do? <clears throat> he says, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, this will I do. I'll pour down my barns, I'll build greater and there I'll bestow all my fruits, all my goods. And I will say to my soul, this conversation with his heart, if you will. Thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. In this world, have it on easy street. And that's what the flesh is always looking for, right? We're always trying to make it comfortable for this flesh. Verse 20, but God said unto him, thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. So I don't know if he had sin in his life, but God's calling him a fool because he was more concerned about the natural things than about the spiritual things in his life. Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. 
And then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So we find that throughout the word of God, it's trying to get us to think within themselves. Jesus is saying, he constantly said, you got eyes, but you don't see. Ears, but you don't hear. Amen. He's not talking about physical eyesight, right? We have, unless you're blind here today, physically blind, you can see. And so he's saying, you got eyes, but you're not seeing. Well, how could that possibly be? Only because the inner self, you're not awakening that conscience to speak to the heart, to protect the heart from the things that are against God. He says, eyes just see, you have ears, but you don't hear. We hear that uh, saying mostly came from our parents. Everything I tell you goes in one ear and out the other. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm telling you stuff, but it's going in one ear and out the other. It's not finding a lodging place in there. You got ears to hear, but you're not hearing. So all throughout the word of God, that was the whole purpose of Jesus. And his message was, listen, amen. So we can train this conscience. We can train it according to the word of God. And we can have a clear conscience, amen. And we all know how it feels to have a clear conscience, right? We can lay our heads down on the bed at night, the peace of God that passes all understanding. There's nothing like it, is there? And if you do that all the time, then you need to count your blessings, amen? Because most of the world goes to bed very tormented, amen? But we can have this clear conscience, amen? He says, I herein do exercise, in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, this is Paul speaking, I herein do exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense to God and toward man. Amen. And so we've all had guilty consciences before too, at least I have. I, I think it's normal. You know, something happened maybe between you and an individual and you, got, you can't sleep at night. You say, I got to get this resolved. I got to go make that right between the individual. Amen. thing that always comes to my mind is when we lived in Illinois, I had this confrontation with a certain individual there. And I went, and then we moved from uh, Ohio to Illinois. And I was in, we were in Illinois for 10 years, and I hadn't thought too much about it. Um, but like three or four years later, I got convicted about it. I got convicted about, you know, as God was telling me through the word and the preaching of the word and just in my own heart, I knew I needed to make things right. You know, even though the other individual was wrong, God wanted me to make things right. <laughs> and so that's how we always feel, right? But I can remember the struggle that it was just to pick up the telephone and to make the call. I, I can remember that because that's that choice, that, that inner choice that we make when we're convicted by the conscience, what are we going to do? And so I made the phone call and the, the conversation was beautiful and everything and hung up and it was like, whew, I'm free. <laughs> he came into the world not to condemn the world, but that we might have life and life everlasting. Oh my goodness. A simple phone call made that whole feeling just vanish and to feel like a load of bricks was just lifted off of my shoulders. 
But we have this ability, amen, to have a clear conscience. We can train ourselves. Exercise here means to train. So we look into the Word of God and we find different types of conscience. One of them is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times shall, uh, um, some shall depart from the faith. So these are believers, they're departing from the, the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. All right, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared. Now it's possible that you can be in church and your conscience can be seared. It's calloused. Alright? That's a bad place to be. Amen? Because you hear the word but you're calloused and after a while we, we find out that these people depart from the faith. Also your conscience can be weak. Well, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 7 through 13 talks about the, the we are yeah through thirteen, not to be careful that we don't wound those that have a weak conscience. Somebody that may be newer, they may not be understand. He was talking about meats here, and there was a lot of meats that were offered to idol. And he said, "Look, it doesn't really matter whether you eat meat that's offered to idols or meat that wasn't offered to idols. The meat's not going to affect your relationship with me." It's what you put into the individual. He said, now, he said, or not what you put into the individual, but what comes out, the, the inward man. And he says, look, he says, now if they tell you this was offered to idols, he said, don't do it for conscience sake. But it doesn't really matter. If you go to the marketplace, you can buy whatever you want to buy, eat whatever, whatever you want. Well, there were some people that had a problem with this because certain foods were used for idols. He said, if it offends your brother, don't do it, all right? Those he's called the weak in conscience. And so we know that we can have a weak conscience. And so also we know that we can have a good conscience. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now save us, not to putting away the filth of the flesh, but of an answer of a good conscience towards God. Amen. So baptism does that. It lets us have that good conscience. It kind of cleans the slate. All your sins are washed away. So the point here is to, to realize that we have different stages in our conscience. We, our consciences can be seared. Uh, before we come to the Lord, the Bible talks about it being an evil conscience, right? So we, can, we have these different things in our lives of our conscience. But Paul said, I exercise myself, I train myself to have always a conscience void of effect. So I'm running out of time, but I got to, this is the most important part. So I got to hurry through this part, but... How do we train ourselves to have a good conscience? Well, first of all, we understand that it comes through the Word of God. Amen? Psalms 119.11. Thy word, the psalmist said, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a, a, a discerner, of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God, we have to focus on it. And we say this, we come, into the, we come into the house of God and we have worship first. You know what that's for? It's for us to worship God. It's for us to get our minds on the Lord before we bring forth the word. Amen? So that we can hear this word that's able to be a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart 
We've got to be careful with it. We don't let our hearts, our consciences be calloused. We've got to be careful that they're not just weak. We've got to be growing in the Lord. And also through the Holy Ghost, Romans 9, 1, I say, in, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Holy Ghost will lead you, John 16, 13, and guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is not optional. <laughs> there's one faith. There's one Lord. There's one baptism, one spirit. It's through you all. Amen. There's a reason for that. The Spirit within us, Christ in us, to help us. Amen. Our conscience, bearing witness to our conscience. Baptism, we already talked about that. In 1 Peter 3, where he said a good conscience towards God comes through that. And so in conclusion, just in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Amen. So this is what the blood of Christ does, the, in the eternal spirit, Christ within us. Amen. He offered himself without spot to God. He became that sacrifice so that we could purge this conscience of ours from being dead to serve the living God. Amen. But you and I are going to have to be the ones that do that. We're the ones that are going to have to awaken this conscience within us. We're the ones that are going to have to say, Lord, speak to me. And so it comes through all these different things, through the Word and through the Holy Ghost and through baptism and through prayer, folks. We need to understand that when we get on our knees to God, we need to say, oh God, help me to understand your Word. God, do whatever needs to be done in my life that my soul will be saved. Amen. Help me, God. Thank you for a conscience. Help it to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Amen. Help me this morning to be sensitive, hallelujah, to the Word of God that's going to be preached in the morning service. And the powerful thing about the Word of God is it'll speak to you. We can have 10,000 people in here, one message, and it can speak to every individual. That's the power of God's Word and what He's desiring to do. We simply have to get ourselves in a place where we can receive the Word of God. Hallelujah. It comes through knowing His Word, comes through prayer, comes through just being filled with His Spirit. Amen. And asking God to reveal unto us what we need to know. Let the conscience come alive within my heart, within my mind. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. As we go in prayer, let's just ask God that he'll speak to our hearts through this morning worship service. Amen. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercies. We thank you for the power of the word. We're thankful, Lord, for the blood that's made provision for our sins. But yet lies before us, God, this choice to follow after the things of God, the works of darkness, or to come towards the light. God, we choose this morning to walk towards the light, to do truth, O oh God. Speak to every heart, every mind. Let the word find a lodging place within each and every one of our hearts and minds. God, we thank you for what you're going to do in our midst today. 
We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. And let the church shout amen.